Thanks be to God for music and voices that sing God's praise. Our second lesson today comes from the first chapter of the book of Mark. I'm reading just two verses, beginning with verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. The great writer, theologian, Holocaust survivor, Nobel Peace Prize winner, Elie Wiesel once asked the question, who do you think is the saddest person in the Bible? There may be many candidates for that question. The saddest person in the Bible. We could all think hard about the biblical story and we could come up with answers. Maybe it's Eve. Eve, the first woman in the Bible, she did get blamed by Adam. And then in Genesis 4, there's a very sad story about Eve and her sons especially. One of her sons, remember, Cain kills her other son, Abel, and Cain runs far away. Uh, that is a story of extreme sadness. Losing a child is very difficult. Having a child murdered is worse, especially if it comes at the hand of your other child. Maybe the saddest person in the Bible, though, comes a bit later. Maybe it's Moses. Moses served God well with countless acts of fortitude and faith. Um, lots of courage, setting the people free, guiding them through the wilderness. But then Moses never got to arrive at the promised land. Never got to go into the promised land. He died just before that. Maybe the saddest person in the Bible is Job. Uh, the quintessential suffering servant. Or maybe, maybe it's the rich young ruler whom Jesus encountered who was so ready to enter the kingdom but could not relinquish his wealth, which is what Jesus asked him to do. And so he went away, as it says, sorrowful. Or maybe the saddest person is Jesus. As in that one verse, that shortest verse in all the Bible, John eleven thirty five, which is right after when Jesus' friend Lazarus died, the verse says, Jesus wept. We could come up with many candidates to this question, the saddest person in the Bible, but this is what Elie Wiesel says. Elie Wiesel says the saddest person in the Bible has to be God. God has to be the saddest because of his continuing disappointment, his heartbreak, his grief, grief about the world and grief about God's people, beloved from the beginning of time, but so far and continually wandering far from what God intends. Created for life, we seem to gravitate toward death. Shaped for love, we seem more inclined toward hatred and violence. Offered light, offered joy, we stay so enfolded in 
darkness and despair, shown the way toward the kingdom, toward a new heaven and a new earth. We keep shooting each other or acting with selfishness and greed and wandering, wandering far from the peace and the purposes of God. So Wiesel argues that perhaps the saddest person in the Bible is really God. Today's sermon uh, emerges from another of your requests in response to my invitation to you, the congregation, to let me know what would be most helpful to you in your faith journey, what sermon topics would be most helpful to you in your journey. Here's what the email says. Thanks, Alec, for being open to our ideas. I would like to hear a sermon on living in the moment or... As Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. A sermon on this topic would speak to my heart, inspire and energize me. I think that being human, we carry so much baggage around with us. People are really hurting inside and we cover that hurt up in so many ways. We need to hear the positive, transformational message that Jesus came here to give instead of the subtle message that we are sinners and in some way damaged, which is the message that I got always as a child. Jesus gives us the tools, she continues, the tools to loosen the baggage that weighs us down. And it's by living in the moment, by leaving the past in the past, not worrying about the future and letting go that this can be achieved. Each moment provides us with a chance to make a decision to forgive, to love. To give more, to care for the sick, to feed the poor, to not be angry, to not be jealous or judgmental. I'd like to hear more on this. Thank you. So this intends to be a sermon today on living in the moment or as Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It has come near as it says in the translation today. Is the kingdom of God really at hand? Has it come near in your life, in your experience? Especially as we consider God's sadness. I want to share some other words from one of my favorite authors, uh, Frederick Buechner. Listen, it was a couple of years ago, a couple of springs ago, I was driving into New York City from New Jersey. One of those crowded, fast-moving turnpikes. It was very warm. There was a brilliant sunshine and the cars, the cars glittered in it as they went tearing by. The sky was cloudless and blue. I had music on the radio, but I didn't need it. The day made its own music. The hot spring sun, the hum of the road, the roar of the great trucks passing, and my own engine and the hum of my own thoughts. When I came out of the Lincoln Tunnel, the city was snarled with traffic as usual, but at the same time, there was something about it that was not usual. It was gorgeous traffic, he says. It was beautiful traffic. That's what was not usual. It was a beauty to see, to hear, to smell, even to be part of it. It was so dazzlingly alive, it all but took my breath away. It rattled and honked and chattered with life, the people, the colors of their clothes, the marvelous hodgepodge of their faces, all of it 
the taxis, the shops, the blinding sidewalks, the spring day made everybody a celebrity. Blacks, whites, Hispanics, every last one of them. It made even the litter and the clamor and turmoil of it a kind of miracle. There was construction going on, he continues, as I inch my way east along 54th Street and Some wino, some bum was stretched out on his back in the sun on a pile of lumber as if it was an alpine meadow he was stretched out on and as if he was made of money. From the garage where I left my car, I continued my way on foot in the high-ceilinged public atrium on the ground floor of a large office building. There were people on benches eating their sandwiches They were dressed to kill. Some of them were in jeans and sneakers. There were young ones and old ones. Daylight was flooding in on them. There were green plants growing and a sense of deep peace as they ate their lunches, mostly in silence. A big man in a clown costume and a white face took out a tubular yellow balloon, big around as a noodle, blew it up and twisted it squeakily into a dove of peace, which he handed to a big-eyed child who was watching him. I'm not making this up. It all happened. It all happened. In some ways, it was like a dream. And in other ways, it was like waking from a dream. I felt like I'd never seen the city so real before in all my life. I was walking along Central Park South near Columbus Circle at the foot of the park when a middle-aged black woman came toward me going the other way. And just as she passed me, she spoke. And what she said was, Jesus loves you. That was what she said. Jesus loves you just like that. She said it in an everyday voice as if she had been saying, good morning, And I was so caught off guard that it wasn't till she was lost in the crowd that I realized what she had said and wondered if I could possibly ever find her again and thank her if I could ever catch up her up to her and say, yes, if I believe anything worth believing in the world, I believe that he loves me. He loves you. He loves the whole doomed, darned pack of us. For the rest of the way I was going, the streets I walked were paved with gold. Nothing was different. Everything was different. The city was transfigured. I was transfigured. It was New York coming down out of heaven adorned like a bride prepared for her husband. The dwelling of God is with mortals. God will be with them and they shall be his people. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the formal things have passed away. That is the city that I saw for a moment. For a moment, it was not the world as it is that I saw, but the world as it might be as something deep within the world wants to be and is preparing to be, the way in darkness a seed prepares for growth, the way leaven works in bread. End quote. Is the kingdom of God really at hand? There are plenty of signs that it's not. God has to be sad. We all have our heartaches. We have our challenges. 
We have our pressure points and our worry places. And some of us are facing new dilemmas and critical crises right in the midst of our lives. And we all know that we live in a dangerous and uncertain world where there are too many guns and other circumstances that generate fear. And there are so many issues that polarize us all around the world. Yet there are good words that want to shape our lives toward the kingdom that is indeed at hand. Paul reminds us, in the face of all things, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The Lord is near. And Paul invites us to keep our lives rooted in God, in prayer, connected to God's promises. And Paul says the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. And we're urged to keep on with what is pure and what is commendable and what is pleasing and what is just. That's our task. And then we have those words from Jesus, so confident, so hopeful. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. In fact, repent and believe in the gospel. Those are basically Jesus' first words. And they want us to orient our lives toward the kingdom, which is at hand in our midst already emerging. So is the kingdom of God at hand or not? We have to say no in some places. There are too many places where it's not obvious or present. The sadness that we might be carrying today, the challenges that we face, the fears that are ours, the heartache of loss or something else, the prevalence of violence and death around us all remind us that the kingdom of God is not fully at hand. But we also have to say yes. Yes, indeed. We do see moments of God's kingdom present. Maybe it is in certain moments when the world looks a certain way, a way that we've never seen it before. Maybe we get a glimpse and it changes how we began living that day. The streets even seem paved with gold sometimes. And God is clearly present all around us. We get a glimpse in particular encounters or in moments of revelation and our vision. Our vision, which is so often blurred, becomes clear and we see Thankfully, we see God will wipe away every tear. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. The kingdom of God in our midst. Following our worship this morning, we gather, as you know, we regroup in this sanctuary to give thanks for the Life and witness of our win, and we bear witness to the resurrection and the kingdom of God at hand. Al served this church as pastor beginning in the mid-1970s. About a year after I came to be the 12th pastor of this congregation, Second Presbyterian Church, I received a note in the mail from Al Wynn. On the back of the stationery, it said Albert Curry Wynn. So I opened the letter 
with sincere appreciation and great anticipation. The note said this. My receipt of your September 2nd prez, that's our newsletter, prompts this note. I had been in academia for many years, but my first love was always the pastorate. He said that he especially wanted to be in a church in the inner city, a church that had determined not to move out to the suburbs. Second was that church. And he came, he said, with high hopes and intentions to help Second be, quote, an urban church that ministered to the city as a whole, and especially the residents of the inner city, including the homeless. So Al was the driving force when the downtown community ministry came together. And when the downtown churches started feeding hungry people every day during the week, during lunch, our walk-in ministry continues from those days, an important part of our presence and our participation in God's work in downtown Richmond. Al was also here when the church got engaged in what has become known as Caritas, when churches around the city house the homeless. Al's legacy is so pervasive in this place as we carry on in faithful downtown ministry. And what Al's note really said was, how delighted he was that these vibrant ministries were all continuing to shape the life and focus of this church in Richmond. And Al's note said this, your newsletter paints a picture of my dreams for second all coming true. And I'm profoundly grateful and I will keep you in my prayers. Last Sunday after worship, a dear friend of Al's and also a friend of mine and many of us in this church, Willie Thompson, attended worship here. And after worship, Willie handed me three photos, all of them of Al Wynn. These were photos of Al taken at the U.S. Capitol in 1987 where he was standing in his preaching robe and reading and reciting the, the Apostles' Creed in protest and getting arrested to make a statement about injustices and practices in Nicaragua. While he had, Willie had these photos because he was there getting arrested too. On the date of those photos printed on the back, 1987, Al was living back in Richmond. He had retired from pastorate and he was teaching a class at Union Seminary on Christian spirituality. I was one of the students in that class. And when he got back from the trip to the Capitol to get arrested, he asked all of us in that class why we, students of the gospel and future ministers, didn't accompany him on that trip. Though he never told us beforehand he was going on that trip, it was a powerful and formative moment for all of us in that class. Because here's the most peaceful man teaching Christian spirituality about prayers and ancient practices. And he was living out his Christian faith in the fullest way, representing Christ and serving the world. 
Many of us have indelible marks on our lives and on our faith that were made by Al Wynn as he worked and served in this church and in other places as Al Wynn lived into the kingdom of God. We will keep nurturing these memories that we have. We will continue to be inspired by his life and his witness. But here's the point. Al like many others have done, lived a life confirming that the kingdom of God is at hand. Indeed, at hand. The kingdom is not all here yet. There's work to do. There's love to share. There's hope to convey. There's light that needs pouring into the darkness in lots of places. But the kingdom, the kingdom of Christ is at hand. It is at hand. We know we belong to God. We seek to serve God. So we seek to spread kindness and joy, justice and peace following Jesus. We seek to live in the moment, not trapped in the past, but looking toward God's future, not contributing to the violence, but working for God's peace, not pursuing meanness and death, but Living into God's light. This is what God calls us all to be about. Each moment of our lives provides us with a chance to make a decision to forgive, to love more, to give more, to care for the sick, to feed the poor, to not be angry or jealous or judgmental. This is the way of Jesus the way of Jesus into the kingdom. Here's another way to think about it. What if each of us lived in such a way, lived such a life, each of us, and every person was such as you living this way, every life was like yours, the earth would be filled with God's light and love and joy and hope and kingdom. This is our calling indeed we are all called to be such a person and let yours be a voice for hope and yet let your life be something that embodies God's kingdom in our hurting city across the whole world so that God's light is illumining every corner and God's peace and God's promises are prevailing this is our calling we're to let our kindness and our love, and our actions for life and hope transform us day in and day out and transform our whole world this summer season and every season forever that the kingdom of God is at hand. May it be so. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. You have shown us the way, O God. Guide us in the way of Jesus as we commit again to following Jesus. Amen.